Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey Villagers, this is a special episode of the podcast that was recorded live on June 20th, 2018 at the Atrium offices in downtown San Francisco. You'll hear a conversation about all things fundraising and bridging the gap between C and Series A. The conversation is a fireside chat with Eric, our co-founder, Kassar Yunus, former COO at Y Combinator, and Daniel Kahn, co-founder of Cruise Automation. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder with Andwain and Ben Casanova. Ross Rubini, who's not here, we are co-founders of Village, Village Global, which is a network-driven venture firm. We are lucky to be one of the investors in Atrium, one of 10 million investors in Atrium. And we are a network-driven venture firm that does two things. One is we are backed by a consortium of CEOs that represent some of the biggest companies in the world. And me, Ben, and came together a couple of years ago, and we said, how can we do venture as a network? And so one of which is who backs us, which is RLPs, who lend not just their capital and their brands, but also their time to support, advise our entrepreneurs and our network leaders. And the second way in which we've tried to re-innovate on venture is through our network leader model. So our network leader model, instead of five GPs being masters of the universe on Sand Hill Road, we said, how can we invest through a decentralized group of angel investors, founders, operators that can help us source diligence and advise our companies. So that is a background on, on Village Global. And we're stoked to have both Daniel Kahn and Kasser here to talk about how to raise a Series A. Initially, we had Justin Kahn, but he did the old bait and switch. But we're actually lucky because Daniel is, in fact, more legit than, than Justin is. And so it was a lead gen strategy. And now we can, uh, now we can go with some real substance. So Daniel and Kasser, would you like to introduce yourselves? And then we can get started with the panel. Uh, sure. My name is Daniel Kahn. I'm the co-founder of autonomous vehicle startup Cruise based here in San Francisco. You may have heard recently we raised some money from SoftBank to the tune of about $2.25 billion. So that's what he's probably talking about. And we're a part of General Motors right now. So this has raised quite a bit of money for this and past startups and happy to talk about it today. My name is Kasser. I used to work at General Motors, actually, <laughs> many years ago. I was an engineer, then got an MBA and did a couple startups. The second one was acquired by Google. I was there for a bunch of years. And then the last three, four years, I was at Y Combinator, uh, where I was a partner and COO. So did a lot of this, this kind of stuff with Justin, actually. And then um, started my third startup about a, year, a little a year and a half ago or so now. And uh, we're also a portfolio company, but we've never really talked about our funding, so... I think this is going to be a podcast, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Very cool. So to start off, maybe, Dan, you could start off with, what was your, Nabil at Spark led Cruises Series A. Can yep. you talk a little bit about what that's what that was like and how it was leading up to that, how, how the story played out? Yeah. So before that, we had raised our seed round, which was a lot like Atrium's. It was a massive party round because Kyle thought that they would be like investors would be great customers for our first product. So when we finally went out to raise our series A, we actually still had a bunch of money in the bank and it was opportunistic. We had built what would be probably equivalent to basically the super cruise on the Cadillac or the highway autopilot on the Tesla. And we used that as a proof point to basically raise money. It wasn't a fully baked product yet. It was it was kind of a proof point of this is what we can do. This is how quickly we did it. And we actually only talked to a few people because we wanted to basically stay focused on building product. And Nabil was one of those people. He was one of the few that gave us a term sheet at the time. And we moved on pretty quickly from that. I think the total process was only a few months. Now, Caster, we can edit this out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what can you talk about? Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, in terms of your fundraising, you know, I did three companies. The first one, we I was like my mid twenties, didn't raise a dollar. Tried very, very hard. No seed, nothing. The second one, we went through YC, would have raised the seed, and uh, had a bunch of term sheets, but we ultimately went down the Google route. And the third one, we raised an A right off the bat. And I, the kind of high level, I, I have, I've. No cards. I took some, some notes. He was making fun of me before. Uh, the, uh, I think the first like real big point is, you know, every single person's fundraising experience is going to be very, very different. I think what ends up happening 
because seed to some degree has been almost color draw by like color by numbers now. Like YC's done a really good job, and some other other funds have done a good job to make the process kind of smooth and easy. I think a lot of founders then go into A thinking the seed is going to be similar. And I think the point that you said about Nabil, I think is really important is in the seed, you're getting a lot of people to be a little interested to give you a little bit of money. And in the A, it's like the opposite. You're getting one person to be really interested to give you a lot more money. And uh, the way that I would think about your A is along the lines of like you're picking another co-founder because they take... 20% 20% of the company, um, usually, and they are going to be probably on your board. And you're going to have a long-term relationship where you talk to them probably every week to month forever until the existence of your company. And so it's kind of weird with raising the A because I just had a personal brand that I could right. use. Which is, I mean, so it's really hard to extrapolate any lessons other than like be successful to some degree. So like we don't need to go into, into that. But yeah, the process was pretty straightforward. We, we talked to four funds, got four term sheets, picked one and. It was, it was done. The normal A, I think, having helped many, many companies through YC is a at least two month process, if, if not longer. And that's always a surprise. But I think folks who've done seed, you come out of YC and you can knock that seed out in a week or two weeks. And it's like really clean, safe. Look, YC's got this process down. And when the A is just like a mess, like, you know, I mean, one of the reasons Atrium exists is it's a mess. And I'm not just trying to plug, like, you know, <laughs> like it's really is legitimate problems. And so it's much more random. And so if you're, if you have to like take a lesson from this, it's don't, it's, it's not like seed where you can just take somebody else's process and try to apply it. You have to look at exactly where is your company and what position are you, do you have in the market? What relationships do you have? And then approach the process that way. And, and one way to think about fundraising in general is going from seed all the way to going public would be the closer you get to this side, the more you're in rare air. Like not a lot of people have raised two billion from SoftBank. So it's not like these guys can go on a blog and read like how to raise, you know, billion. So just start accepting that you're going to be entering paths, which just other people have not gone down. And it's going to be more just tailor fit to you. It's like uh, off the shelf, ready-made clothes and then like bespoke suits and all, all the way down. And that's why like Goldman gets 7% of public offerings because they're very, very hand built and Goldman can get 7% of yeah. every public <laughs> offering. What are some of the most common mistakes you've seen through UIC days? You've seen, you know, angel investing companies that, that they make when, when approaching the series A. Like, Absolutely. They think it's a seed. So try to get deal heat, try to bluff, try to um, take their seed deck and basically make it an A deck. I look at a lot of A. I mean, I still, cause I had so many, you know, YC companies that I, that I funded when I was at YC hundreds. And so I say, I'll probably once a week get an email saying, can you still get this deck? And it's just like kind of their demo day deck. And it's different. The A deck generally, unless you're working like hard tech companies are slightly different, but you still, it should be numbers, numbers, numbers. Like that's roughly the seed deck is almost like vision, 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 vision. And A is like numbers, numbers, numbers. And again, just think about fundraising on a gradient being a public, like when a company goes public, they don't, they, they you, you might not even know the CEO's name. Like it is just about the numbers. And so just put yourself on that gradient as you start going further down. You, and I'm surprised when I see some Series A decks of like a consumer company and they don't have like basic cohort analysis. They don't have basic CAC LTV. Hard tech companies not knowing, you know, what milestones they have accomplished, who's on their team, like the little things like that. And then in gen- like basically the high, the summary point is taking their C deck and Right. Adding a couple more slides and making a Series A deck. That, that's not how it works. How have you advised companies when raising Series A and their numbers are not great? They're okay. Not terrible. <laughs> They're okay. Yeah. I mean, generally, I think it's something like a quarter of companies who raise the seed will raise an A. So that's not good. Like, like that's hard. Yeah. Uh, and it's just recognizing that the startup journey for three out of four is that's where it ends. And I think I would also, if I'm in, you know, your shoes, as in the, the seed, somebody raising a seed and the metrics are just okay. It's like to really just take an honest look. Like this is a business you want to keep doing. Like it's an out. Like be lucky to some, uh, you know, congratulate yourself to some degree that you, it's like, you know, that, uh, that book, um, that Conmori book, the decluttering book. It's like, you know, spark, like, we like pick up everything in your house and does it spark joy? Then you pick up your startup and like, does this spark joy anymore? No, let's not raise the A. <laughs> so whoever asked me that question should just go home and yeah. call it quits. I mean, it's, it's not that it's, uh, that's a caveat because I think not, not a lot of people say that. So that's worth underlining. But if you're in your position and you, and you, and you do believe it, the notes I can, I literally, it's my first bullet point of what happens if you're, you're, <laughs> the punchline is you have to show that you've learned something in that mediocrity. Say like, you know, I, I spent this million and a half or 500,000 or 2 million or 3 million and things didn't go as I planned. This is what I learned and this is what I think in the future can be. So you got to raise 
initially, the number one, you want to raise on traction. If you don't have traction of whichever way that is, then you got to raise on some, you know, thing that you, that something you believe or you've learned that other people have not, don't believe in, don't you learn. Want, but it's that, hard. It's you want to show easy. that you're methodical, or that you weren't just wasting money, that you, you know, that you'll have investors believe that you have potential to find product market fit if you haven't yet found yeah, it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even say methodical. I would say more along the lines of like, because you could just happenstance fall into like a good market. And I don't think investors really care like right. the process you got there. It's just that you have an insight which is potentially interesting. Right. But I think more, you know, most times investors are just going to look at that and they, they, they say like, like they are in the A, they're really thinking about as much as, as crazy it sounds as they're thinking about public companies and they're thinking about liquidity. It's a different market than the seed. A investors have to go to their LPs because they wrote a five or 10 or $20 million check and then pitch your company to their own investors. And like... It can't be like a head scratcher for their LPs because LPs are like, why am I giving you all this money? So it's just a fundamentally different relationship to the company. And if like the, I think most GPs wouldn't say this publicly, but the biggest fear that they have is investing in a bunch in a dud company that they have to go to the board meeting for and kind of like, it's just like, you know, this deadbeat cop who's just waiting for retirement, <laughs> you know, it's like, and so they're just like hanging on, like just run, they're like spend the money so I can just not come to these board meetings. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's just, it's a, it's a, it's, it's different. It's like recognizing. Recognizing if you're going from C to A, that it's not the same thing. It's not just more of the old thing. Yeah. How, you mentioned board partner before. How should companies think about partners versus firm brands versus you know the relationships with partners? Yeah, I, I'm when not sure how you guys. I mean, for me, it was the most simple way to think about it is like brand matters. I remember Patrick Hulson from Stripe saying this, and I think this is really true. He says like the biggest signal to like Series B investors is like who your Series A investors were to some degree, and there's some truth in that. It's not completely true, but there's there, there's some truth in that. So I think about that. I thought about that, but probably as importantly, like if the venture brand is one half of the equation, the other half is like who the partner is, and you can make a case actually who the partner is is more important. But the the unfortunate, ugly reality is most people when they're just like lot you know lobbing judgment at your company. They're not like, oh, you were at a, you know, a fund out of, you know, Tampa Bay, Florida, but it's a great partner. They want to see both. And so yeah. that's the ideal. If you have the luxury of having a long-term relationship, I don't know if you guys had a long-term relationship with Nabil. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd agree with that, but not everyone has yeah. that luxury. Yeah. So like, you know, for us, we pitched, we decided during our Series A, we were going to pitch a handful of investors who we had been bringing along. So, you know, we didn't have the numbers that that Casper was talking about, but we had the product that we'd been working on and the vision that we were going to, you know, achieve some larger goal of autonomous vehicles everywhere. And for us, it was about bringing people along the the journey. So we would put people in the car. Then, you know, six months later, we'd put them in the car again. Then we'd go out and talk like, okay, we're going to go raise money. So there were maybe four or five different groups of investors and it was mostly based on who was interested in talking to us at the time so it wasn't like we were out there you know at the time no one was putting money into self-driving cars it was like google had their program and us and then there were some other smaller groups who were working on robotics and labs but they weren't out raising money so the space was not as exciting as it is today so for us it was who's willing to take our calls who's willing to meet with us and then are they meeting us on our timeline, right? And do they actually respect our time and are doing the right things? And it just so happened that Neil at Spark was doing all of those things. He was, you know, meeting with us, being serious about it, having the right conversations, bringing us to the partner meetings as quickly as possible. And we did find a great partner, someone who, you know, we would come to our board meetings and basically be that third co-founder, outside perspective, telling us the truth of like, okay, how are things actually going whatever, you know, what do you need to fix this time? How can I help? So it worked out really well, but, you know, we didn't have the luxury of, of, of a bunch of different investors. I mean, we might have if we had decided to go out and do a serious pitch and find 10, 20 people to go and talk to, but we valued our time more than specific investors. So, like, we didn't even talk to, I think, Andreessen or some other people who you normally would throw in there for sure. Before getting into the weeds of things like terms or timing, let's zoom back out for a second. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are sort of surprised that they should treat fundraising like a very you know, deliberate process. So talk about what that means for entrepreneurs to treat it like a process and what happens when they're, you know, not as process oriented around their fundraising. Well, I think for, for us, it was, it was really about making it just another project that needs to be managed on the schedule of things to do. Right. And so you put up for us, Kyle was the lead there. He, you know, would work on the deck 
and on the pitch and we set up a timeline. It was by this time, we're going to say we're going to have our term sheets and we're going to pick one of them. And so it was very methodological approach to making sure that we were doing the right things on the right timeline and we were okay not raising, right? I think you want to raise from a position of power. And if you are desperate and you need that, then uh, that comes off in your pitches, that comes off in your negotiations and everything else. And for us, it was if we don't close this at this time, you know, we'll just go on with our business. And we had enough money in the bank at the time to do that. And we thought that, and, and the same is true for, for our most recent time as well with, with GM's backing, we obviously don't need the money. But that's what it's always been about. It's It's making sure that you treat it as another project that has to be done on a certain timeline and that you're willing to walk away. Two things strike me from that story. One is, ideally, you want to raise when you don't need the money from a position of leverage. And two is, you, you drove the process. You didn't let investors string you along. And that, that shows a lot of power as well. Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we, we kind of said, well, we brought people along the way. So it wasn't like, oh, you're just thrown into it and you have no context for what we're doing. And that was helpful to make sure that they were like on board. Ultimately, what happens when you raise a Series A is one partner is going to lead the deal and so you need to make them your champion and they will convince all of their partners that this is a great idea. So that happened. And by bringing someone along the way, we were able to dictate, okay, now we're ready to show you our product. Now we're ready to show you what our vision is and do it quickly in within like a two or three week window. Um, and that sped things up. And then on the back end, after we got term sheets, it was about like diligence and all the other stuff that Atrium can help with. And being organized there is like also extremely helpful. Keeps your lawyer costs down too. Cassie, let's say you were still at YC and you were running their Series A, you know, yes. investing program, or yes. or you were advising Village Global companies raising Series A. What have we not discussed that you would make sure to really emphasize or focus? On? <sighs> hmm. I mean, I think the best way to like, as Daniel was describing the process, the, the way you'd actually want to do the ideal way you want to do the A is almost like you're having these conversations with investors and you're not saying you're raising an A, but then suddenly like there's enough like interest where you like kick off a process and then you capture that process within like a, you, you, you call all these like kind of semi hot leads up and say, Hey, you know what? We weren't thinking actually raising, but we're going to raise it. We're, we're going to raise, you know, we're, 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 we're going to just have some conversations. If they go nowhere, it's fine. We have plenty of cash, but we want to talk to you because you're, you know, we've been talking to you in the past. And so I think that's like the ideal way. It's just, I mean, it's really like an art. It's not, it's not a real science. So I think recognizing that. I can't emphasize enough about you got to find that champion. You got to find that one person who really gets it. And, and so, you know, think about this also tactically. Like if we're saying it takes you months to raise, that means you're not going to just go in in one pitch and suddenly you're going to walk out with a term sheet. That's not, that's just not mechanically how it happens. So you have a coffee first with the investor. They, they are kind of figuring out like, if I bring this person in to meet other partners, am I wasting their time? You pass that bar, you meet two or three partners and they're thinking like, do we want to bring this up to the whole partnership? Are we wasting their, that one Monday slot that we have? Then you pass through that. And then ideally around that time, you have some interest from a handful of other folks. And you can just either have a back channel, have somebody who knows that Series A partner or partners and say, hey, applied or, you know, cruise or whatever. They're, I think that round's coming together. Yeah. Just a heads up, that round's coming together. And then that focuses and forces that firm to either make a decision either way. And if you have enough balls in the hopper, you hopefully one or two come out the other side. And we're not talking about 10. We're not talking about 15. We're talking about one or two term sheets, three term sheets on the other side. I be very skeptical. I mean, I generally don't consume almost any media for this reason. A lot of things you read, sometimes I've read, I've read rounds. I know how they went together. And like, we raise our series A in 13 minutes, you know, like, like, and I know, the round, I was uh, helping them. I was, and I was like, that shit took three months. That wasn't 13 minutes. Like literally maybe the DocuSign took 13 minutes, <laughs> but like, it's like, that's it. And so uh, just, just don't, don't consume a lot of, I would say the blogosphere. I say this like every time I talk to founders in general, because as, and it's not like journalists are willingly trying to mislead you. They're just trying to write an article which is consumable. They can't write all this nuance like, hey, there's the 18 pages on how this Series A happened. And they need a headline that gets you to click. And the headline could be, we raised our fundraising in two weeks or one week or whatever. We had five term sheets or 15 term sheets or whatever. And so it's better just to talk to people who've done the A. 
and get that very nuanced story. Mm-hmm. Like, who made the intro? How did you get the first meeting? How did, what happened in the second meeting? What did you present? Let me see your deck. And then once you can do like three or four of those, you'll start seeing some rough pattern. And again, this is not color by numbers. So at some point, you just stop taking advice and you say, okay, now I gotta, I, I've kind of learned enough and now I'm gonna, you know, get through the process. Talk about how important it is to stage the meetings in the right way. Because <laughs> I think what a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize is that VCs talk to each other and yeah. that could be a good thing. You, you want them to, you know, get, have FOMO effects, but you want them to have a sense of, hey, now, now this round's really coming together. Yeah. I mean, if you can, talk to the investor. Like, this, the ideal, again, is let's say you decide we're going to kick off the process. You actually talk to the firms that you care are less interested and try to get that part, those partner meetings in the first weeks and then get the ones you care about more in the second or third weeks because the more branded firms, you can say, we have a term sheet. And that does matter. I'd love to say that these are independent investors and they think with cold, hard analysis. No, they're like, oh shit, you have a term sheet? Okay. Okay. Like, that means I gotta, I gotta make a decision. And that's so deal heat is a real thing. And so somehow trying to drum up deal heat. But I think the reason I'm hesitant to even say that is that is what seed is about. And a lot of times folks try to bring that into the A and I think it's, it generally doesn't work. It's generally getting one fund, one partner to feel like, this makes sense, and I'm going to lead this. So talk about more. You mentioned how important it is to get a champion. How do you qualify whether a champion is actually a champion? They might not even know they're a champion. I mean, they're like, it's not linear. It's just not linear. I mean, it's like... But how are you assessing their interest? Make sure they're not wasting your time. They, they yeah, talk I think to you. the they, questions they're asking you as well. Yeah. Like, if they're truly interested, they're going to be leaning in, right? And, and that's different for every single person. But you'll know when they're asking you questions and they're interested. It also becomes a, a point where if they bring something to the table to their partners and it doesn't go through, that's like a negative mark for them. Yeah. So, you know, once you have them on the hook, it's, it's pretty easy to tell, yeah. I think. And the ideal thing is, so, so investor, I mean, I really do underline back channels. I think they're really important. When I talk to investors on the behalf of founders, I can just say whatever's on my mind. And there's no liability to the founder. So like you guys are being bozos, price is too low, they're not going to take your term sheet, take care. Like, like, like have that like, you know, 30 second conversation. Founder can never say that. And, and it's like somehow agreed upon, like you can have these back channels, but, um, to do with some, what's the word, like some tact and some, like, you know. Some level of grace. Yeah, some level of grace. I don't have to. Founders have to. <laughs> like, that's my role as a back channel. I can be right. much more direct and say, like, you're not going to win this deal. So let's see if you want a small piece. And, yeah. Talk about timing. When should seed founders be thinking about when's the perfect time to go out for their A? Well, when you're at the highest point of leverage, and that depends for every company, uh, it's different. I think to what Kazar said, the metrics matter. If you don't have the metrics, then you're at a low point of, of leverage and you have to start telling a story of why whatever you did was was useful for you getting to that next story or to that next level. So for, for example, for us, we basically pivoted right as we were raising our Series A. We went from highway autopilot product to building fully autonomous vehicles. And you could say like, oh, like you're building something completely different. Why should we fund you? But we used... As I mentioned before, it has a proof point of saying, like, we are a fast-moving company. We can build stuff very quickly. You've seen what we did six months ago. Now you've ridden in the car today. Now we're going to switch entirely, and in a year, we're going to have a car that can drive around the city, right, or, or some timeline. And it won't be perfect, but, you know, we're going to work out the kinks along the way. And so that was our story. Our story was about how quickly we were moving. The biggest question everyone else asked us was, like, what about Google? They've got way more resources. And we had an answer that that's a really hard question to answer first off. It's like, okay, like, well, what about like some random unnamed company that you don't know about? Like, or what about, I, I don't know, Tesla or any other company? So for us, it was like, you know, we're, it was about how quickly we're moving and basically playing on if you don't get in now, price is going to go up later and you're going to have FOMO in the future because this is like a huge industry. So, you know, we didn't have, we had a, a tech demo, we had the size of the market and the impact of this this product, and then, you know, the team. Yeah, I think in, in our A, it's, it's, it's similar. We, you know, I said we didn't raise the seed, went straight to the A. We, by the way, we build, uh, we're, we're also in the AV business, but where Cruise is a vertical company, we're a horizontal company, we build simulation. And for us, I think uh, what I would say really tipped it when we were raising was we knew the business, I mean, cold. And I still, because I mean... Spent seven years in the auto business, seven years in the valley, and I think that just showed in our thoughtful. I mean, we 
would have two, three hour conversations with investors. I mean, they would ask the, like about the fifth company they've heard of in simulation in Germany. And we would have, when we do have viewpoints on it, like we were very thoughtful. And I, I think if anything helped us raise, it was like, we knew the business. And I think there's an expectation when you're spending that much time with investors, if they're starting to get to the edge of your knowledge pretty quickly, that's, that's a, that's a weak sign. So in your seed arc, you will get to that point. You'll learn the business to some point where you actually know it better than maybe any, and that, that's also kind of a signal of maybe you're ready for the A because you really under, you're like, you know, the, the uh, definition of somebody who's really mastered their craft is they can, they act without hesitation. And so if I was to, you know, ask Dan about, Hey, what about, uh, you know, another AV company? He's going to have a lot. That's, it shows that he's just in this business. He knows it. He thinks about it all day. And in that C to series A transition, that happens at some point and you'll meet founders who just, know their space down cold uh, in every aspect. And that's not BSing. In seed, you can kind of BS. In the A, it somehow becomes, because these conversations are so long. The seed conversations can be 30 minutes and they write a check. A conversations, they're meeting you three or four times. And if, if you're still teaching them on the fourth time that they're meeting you, after eight hours of conversation, like, you know your business. So that can be a signal. I think milestones is, is another version. But I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is raise as soon as you can. Like, you just never know where the market goes. You never know what happens. It's always good to have more money in the bank. But again, that's like so general that it's almost a useless piece of advice. Right. And how do you know when you think you can raise? Like, is there a number where you say, hey, if we have six months of runway, we should you know, really make sure we raise? Like, how do you? Six months is definitely short. I think that's your back is against the wall if you have six months. And the rough thing is seeds usually 18 months yeah. runway. So those first... Like I, I cannot understate like how, when, when you should start thinking about the A metrics is right when you close your seed. You're like, well, what do, what do we got to get to to yeah. get to that next milestone? And, and sometimes people are just like, they're, they celebrate the seed because it's effing hard to raise. I mean, I remember that first company, man, we couldn't get a dollar. And believe me, we tried. Uh, it wasn't like we didn't try. We, we just, and so when you do accomplish something, you just feel like, can I just rest a bit? And, but those first six months are really, really important because if you power through those six months, then you can be right back, maybe starting to have those warm conversations again. And they're like, wow, this person knows a lot about this business. Maybe I should preempt the A. And that's what you want to slowly try to get into their heads. That it's a real A. Everyone thinks they're preempting it, but that's actually the normal A. <laughs> like that's, that's the, the founder magic that you have to play. It's like, oh yeah, you're getting, uh, you're getting your early. <laughs> getting uh, eight months left of runway. Let's preempt this A. <laughs> How should founders think about? Oh, don't burn money. That's, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. Don't burn, don't burn, burn money. I feel like that's probably a real indication because the A investor is giving you for the first time a real chunk of money and they want to make sure that you're a good fiduciary. You know how to spend this money and you can make it go a long way. I think that's another signal. How do you guys think about, how do you coach founders think about how much they should raise? What terms of valuation? Like how, how should they be thinking about that? That's an interesting question. I think, I think it's really about how much do you need at minimum to get to your next milestone, right? To get to the next raise, basically. And so you got to be planning ahead at every step of the way because you don't want to run out of money, but you also want to be able to tell the story of like, okay, now my metrics are even better and, you know, I've hired this amount of people. So you actually have to do a lot of planning ahead of time of like, okay, what is the growth I'm going to need? Hopefully you know like what the cost for acquisitions are and all that, potentially opening up other markets, how much that costs. So there's a lot of financial work that goes into that. Other than that, I'd say raise as much money as possible because, as Casper said, you never know when the last check is going to come and always be thinking about how to raise more money. So, you know, it, it's it's oftentimes really difficult. Like for us, you know, we're doing planning right now for a year or two years out because you know, we're a pretty large company now. But if you can do at least some rough calculations, give yourself some margin, you know, 10, 20%, something like that, that's like the minimum, then obviously you need to figure out how much people will give you. And, you know, I wouldn't think about it as much as uh, from a dilution standpoint. I think an A is still basically like there's 50% chance you're no longer a company in a year. So, you know, as long as you are still motivated to come to work based on the amount of stock that you have or your, your co-founders or your, your team has, I'd call that a success, really. We see a lot of cases where you have two different term sheets. One is from a top partner and another is from and a top firm and another is from not that, but at a better valuation, maybe double. When you see entrepreneurs have that situation, what do you advise them? Double. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. Okay, maybe not double. That's maybe a lot. Is a bit uh, more. 
How, yeah. how do you think about the trade-off between ownership and having the right partner and right firm on board? I mean, I'd probably take the right partner only because, you know, it means a lot having good advice. Like the, the tricky thing about advice is, you know, when you eat like bad food, you know, you're eating bad food because you gain weight and you feel sick. Uh, when you're getting bad advice, you're like, oh, it's fantastic advice. <laughs> <laughs> like we could be giving you really bad advice right now. Like you have no idea. I'm always very wary about advice. It's like content. Like I, I'm, I'm really, I think a lot of people focus on what they eat that don't focus enough on what like goes into their brain. And that's probably really starts with your Series A investor who's giving you advice on the most opaque and unknown future of this, this organization. And so I think, I think I would, I would lean towards that double. I mean, man, I'm going back to that first person to say, I respect you a lot, but <laughs> double. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm questioning everything you've ever told me, Kazer. <laughs> Cassie, you raised your A, an unnamed, undisclosed yeah. amount of money. You know it. I know it. No one else here knows it. <laughs> no, there's a couple of people who know it. <laughs> I'm just so why that number? Why not double that number? Or why not half that number? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was going to answer that and I totally forgot about it. Is, is, I think as much as we'd like to say it's like all this is fungible, there are like expectations and blocks. Uh, a partner wants to deploy certain, like, Always think about, you know, there's this uh, some German proverb, which I, I won't say the German, but I don't really, because I don't really remember it, but it translates roughly to success in life is understanding what the other person is thinking, like really empathizing, understanding what they're, so if you're a general partner at a venture fund, you raise $300 million for the fund, you got to deploy, you know, half is going to be in reinvestment, so you get $150 million in fresh checks, there's six partners, you just do the math, they're a $2 million check is not worth their time. So like there's some version of like, it's going to be five to 10, five to 20. That's what the A check is going to be. So the higher, and then they're, they're always going to want 20 to 30%. If you're lucky, you can get 15. If you're unlucky, you maybe get up 35 or 40%, but it's all within those bounds. And so I think if you, if I didn't know anything about your company, you said, Hey, I did a 1.5 million seed and we're, you know, 12 months from death. And uh, with these great metrics, I would say raise 10 and try to do it on a 30 pre. If you can't, like that's the very vanilla way to do it. No one's going to get very, like they're not going to scratch their heads. Like, how did you come up with this? This is crazy. <laughs> like, they're going to kick you there. They're going to look, okay. Then they might debate, like, is 10 the right number? Is 15 the right number? Like, that's where you'll, you'll, you'll start. And maybe that number really is seven and yep. it's 22 pre or it's five and it's 20 pre, but it's going to be roughly around those same. I just, because once you're getting to five, they're just not, remember, they got to deploy capital. Right. Like that is literally a part of their job. They can't, they, they can't be like, Oh, uh, go back to the LPs and say, Hey, you know what? As much as investors want to say, we won't invest if the market isn't giving us the right, right terms or that's BS. Right. They're going to do a review with their LPs every quarter, every six months, every year. And they're going to say, this is what we did. This is why you're paying us these great management fees is because this is what we did. And so you can use, you, so understand that and understand that therefore they kind of want to work the 10 million. You just got to give them a reason to, to work. Right. It. And I appreciated Dan's point about as much as you can, if you can, when we were at Product Hunt, you know, we did YC at 120K. We had very little expenses and then we raised about a million dollars with during the program. And we said, wow, this is way more than we need, but it'll last us a few years. And then a month later, we had a term sheet from Jason Horowitz for about $7 million. And we said, wow, we had way more than we needed with $1 million. What are we going to do with all this money? But we decided to take it because we knew that you know, we were riding a high and momentum could slow down. And it did you know, six months later, and we wouldn't have been able to raise an A then. So what I should have mentioned was it was also at a modest valuation. We thought we could we could get significantly higher if we waited. But we decided to be conservative and take the money and ended up being the right decision. I remember the exact parking spot yeah. that I gave that advice in <laughs> totally. uh, when that round was coming in. And I was thinking, wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's just like right after, yeah. 13 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So with that, we're going to open it up for, for Q&A. But please give a round of applause for... Uh, well, there's a thing of questions. Please. I think today, access is no longer an edge. I remember... And the point that I would say that is like maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, certainly getting to Sequoia and Dries and was like a big deal. Just getting a meeting, it's not an issue. Literally, you could probably email any of us and say like, I was at this atrium event. Can you, you know, do you know anybody at this firm? And there's like a non-zero chance we'll reply and this non-zero chance we'll be, because everyone wants to kind of help each other. So it, like getting to firms is not the hard thing anymore. There's things like atrium and YC that exist that can also smooth and, and, and make that process easy. Yeah, metrics are, 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 tough, are a tough thing. I think everyone wants this out of the box. Like if I hit this growth and it is just not, there are companies I've, who've raised 
50 at 500 pre that had nothing. I mean, I mean nothing. And there's companies that have phenomenal metrics and just can't even put together 5 million bucks. So that's how life is unfair. <laughs> that's the point of that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's why it's just so tailor made. You, you have to understand like what your strength is, what your relationship with that person is and their trust that you will be a good fiduciary of their money. They're literally, you're selling stock and they, you know, and raise as much as you can plus 25%. Like that, that's the ideal. Like as much as you need plus 25%, which means as much as you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No. Awesome. Any questions? You mentioned about the uh, kind of just taking flow along with the ride. Yeah. Developing the relationship before, how, how did you develop that relationship to take people along the ride, especially for like first time founders? Um, and, and one other question for you was the, why would you determine to sort of not announce the round, like the size of the round? Like what's that strategy of thinking that goes into yeah. that? The question was like, how do you bring people along on the ride? And and it starts with like first getting their attention and kind of letting them know what you're building. I think the thing that you need to play on or understand is that every investor is looking for deals, right? They want to talk to you because they don't want to be the person who missed out on Facebook or, you know, Twitter or whatever else. And so as long as you're not like, as long as you have clear, concise like thoughts and like on what you're doing and why, they'll talk to you because it's their job to talk to you. Then from there, it's about convincing them that there's a story that they want to at least check up on every once in a while. And it doesn't need to be like, hey, I need something from you. But the conversations for us were like, hey, we've like built this cool thing. Do you want to come check it out? And we weren't raising RA until we were, as as, as Casper mentioned. And it was, you know, for us building robotic stuff, it was, it was kind of cool. It's like a different type of thing than, you know, a general app or website. And you can come check it out in the garage that we were building it in. You could go for a ride, potentially. Uh, we'd tell you about some of the progress, whatever it was, whatever we had to update. And we didn't waste their time. It wasn't like, oh, hey, come here every two weeks and check it out. But you might not hear from us for six months. And then we'll say, hey, come check out and, and ride in the car with us. And so, you know, either way, it was like going to be a good story for them. Like I rode in this car and it exploded. No, that didn't actually happen. But, you know, they, they're, it's their job to really make sure that they're looking at everything. And as long as you don't mess that up, you're at like a default. They're going to meet with you. It's their job to meet you. Yeah, it really is. So it's, it's different. It's not like it's a very different type of courting. I think one thing is important is to know is every time you talk to an investor, they're evaluating you. Like that's just the truth. There isn't like this zone you go into. Now you're on pitch zone. It's just like you're, you you bump into the street, they're evaluating you because they're always looking to deploy money. That is their single job is to write checks. So of course, when you say, I think the, the easy, I mean, if, I don't know how you guys did it, but literally, I think if some, if I got an email and says like, hey, listen, we're doing a self-driving car. Do you want a demo? Yeah, why not? Why not? And, and I think the, the thing to underline that Dana said earlier is people didn't care about self-driving at the time. So like, what do they not care about now? So like, imagine if you're working on, I don't know, like cryptos. There's a bunch of things that are hot right now, but like things that are not hot, investors still care because, you know, it's more obvious you take a self-driving car ride now than it would be in three, four years ago. So, but they will. What's interesting to that is like investors are looking for trends, right? And if you know what that is ahead of time, you can make a lot of money. Like almost it's likely that most self-driving car companies are going to make money for their investors if they got in early because of the valuations and the capital that's been deployed. Just like if you secondaried all your shares today and all the companies that you invested in five years ago in self-driving, you'd probably make a ton of money. And those companies might still not be successful, right? But they're riding a trend. And if they can get in on the ground floor, it doesn't really, like, you want to build a successful product, but it still might make them money. To answer your question on why we've announced, you, you basically announced for a couple of reasons. One is to uh, get more customers or to get recruits. And we've been fortunate enough to do both of those. We also didn't want, we, we planned this, this at, at the time, whatever, uh, 14 to 15 months ago, very esoteric space called simulation, which is, I think, I mean, there was this article in the information a couple of days ago, and there's been some more, yeah, Uber, there's been more things that have made it more front center. But like, I, we, you know, the, one of my buddies, uh, one of my grad school buddies who works in hedge funds says, I always find Silicon Valley to be very strange. Like, if you have an edge, people are constantly blogging about it. And it's like, that's not the case in hedge funds or in almost many other asset classes. And it's like, if you found like some real estate arbitrage, the last thing you would do is tell everybody. You try to actually, you know, capture that space. And I think that's roughly our, our view. And I think we're now to the point where I think, you know, we've, we have, we've also built enough of a gap. Remember, we're raising without seed. So we wanted to have that space where we can build a product. So when we announce, even 
when our competitors start saying they can do the same thing, they can because we're also again, it's it's situation dependent, but we're building hard tech. So now when we can say we can do something that is something special, that even if somebody who's trying to copy it will take them, you know, it's like the speed of light. It takes X amount of time to actually get there. So if we had announced our, our strategy last summer, I think that would have been net negative. And I can recruit because of my own previous experiences and networks, and we've already raised money. So that's roughly roughly what it is. And and then more philosophically, the reason that our company's in Sunnyvale and the reason I only come up when a few people ask me is I generally believe to build a great company, it's really an exercise in focus. Everyone works hard. A lot of people are smart. There's so many Harvard-Yale alums around here that it's like cliche. So then who wins? People who are just focused. And that's just so, it's just not glamorous to write about and stuff. So a signal to my own team is we don't do press because we don't care about that shit because it doesn't move the needle for us. The only thing that moves needles for us, we're the best product in the market. That's the only way our customers buy us. They don't buy us because I have a cool name, which I don't. Uh, they don't buy us, you know, for any other reason. So it, it's a subtle signal, signal to the team, which says the only thing that matters is a great product. Uh, because we could just drum up a lot of press and... I don't think I don't think it actually makes us a better company. What Casper is saying is that sometimes when you take Village Global money, that news can be so explosive yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he's avoiding paparazzi. Yeah, exactly. Right? Trying to exactly. His company. You mentioned earlier about raising uh, raising your Series A and without having metrics, and you raised it mostly on products. Could you talk about any strategies that were specific to like raising money based on products? Any specific examples you could give from your fundraising? Well, I think I mentioned a, a little bit of that, which was like bringing people along in the rate of change, right? Because there are only so many things, if you don't have metrics that they can evaluate you evaluate you on. Part of that was the team, and then how you prove that the team can actually execute is the rate of change in the product. So it was a combination of like, basically, look how quickly we built this robot that can drive you down the highway. And isn't that really cool? And then, like, implying taking that and building it into something a little bit more robust and, I guess, less of a luxury good. So, you know, something that can drive you down the highway is, is, is great, but you might, until you can remove the driver out of the vehicle, it's still, you know, you still have to drive. And so taking that and saying, okay, look, we can do this here on this environment. We're going to do it in this other environment and come back in like three months and we'll like have that done uh, or a prototype ready for you was, was another portion of that. And then the last thing was like, then what does that mean for society and for like them as investors, right? What is the impact, right? Because you could build something that's really cool. I saw the other day, there's a drone that like had a f- like flamethrower on it, which is great. That's like a really cool thing. Maybe there's some use case to like clear power lines, but you know, in most cases that like the impact of that is not going to be very high. So for us, it was, is saying, okay, look at like the ride sharing market today. Look at what it could be if you remove the driver and, and you know, there's a, there's a pathway here for people to make a lot of money and change the world as well. I think uh, it's important that they're a hard tech company. You're going to get very different response. If you're a consumer company and you said, hey, with our seed, we built a product, you're not going to raise that A. There's an expectation you need consumers using your product. If you're an enterprise company, you need contracts. You need revenue to some degree. That's fair. Like each company is going to be slightly different. And so I I would make sure you take the takeaway here isn't, you know, you can just go raise an A when you have a product that make that that's true when the product is very hard to build. It's not true when the product is a web app. I think that might have been true 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when there wasn't AWS and there wasn't all these, you know, other systems that, that, that would help you get an app up easily. So you have to know where you are in that curve. And I'm sure in like 10 years, getting like a car going down the highway is not, is going to be trivial too, because there's a bunch of companies that give out of the box. And so it's like, you can go today to autonomous stuff in San Jose and buy a car with sensors. That just didn't exist a while back. And so if you did that today, I don't think you'd get the A because they would say, well, you, you know, this, this is not special. And the, uh, the other point I'd really underline is the, the greed aspect. They're, they're good GPs who are Series A GPs have a money sense and they can like almost intuitively understand this is going to be a big market. And so if you're like in an area which is not op- like building like productivity software for nonprofits is not obviously a lot of money involved, right? So you have a, a more of a steep, that means your numbers have to be even better. It's a good point. Talk about how you guys are both in, you know, transportation space, obviously a big market. Talk about you know companies who are building recruiting companies or ed tech companies or I don't know spaces where where VCs have their doubts about how big it can be. How do you advise entrepreneurs on how to educate investors when you're in one of these markets? 
Yeah, if they haven't started the company, I say don't start a company in this market. <laughs> <laughs> if they've started it, like, let's see if you can pivot out of this. No, I, uh, it's definitely an uphill battle. EdTech, man, brutal. Like, man, do you know how many EdTech companies we funded at YC? <laughs> a lot. And, and so it's just tough. Is you have to be the exception that proves, right. you know, that the, 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 the unfortunate reality is you have to be the exception that proves the rule of the rest of the companies are bad for this reason, but we're, we're not bad for, for a reason. Like, you know, for a long time, developer tools were maligned because every developer wants to build everything themselves. And then like Stripe, right. like is now a 10 billion. Big companies company. come. When, when, yeah. yeah. And so it, it is possible. And I think you have to show that counter. I think in general, what seed A, B, going public, there's actually something counterintuitive about your business. And I think that in that specific case, you have to say, you have to, if I'm writing that pitch or that deck or that conversation, I'm hitting it square in the head and saying, ed tech usually or uh, recruiting usually is not a scalable business. We're going to show you how we're making it scalable. You just got to address that up front. If you don't address the obvious weaknesses in your business, then you walk away from that conversation. It's not like they forgot about them. Yeah. Now they just believe that you are not aware enough. Somebody who works 24-7 in this business is not aware enough to so like fundamental weaknesses and like our businesses have our own issues and so they're, they're gonna they're gonna come to us right and and so with those issues like can you really catch google are there you know can can a small team build something really complicated like this and sell it to you know to, to other companies like they're gonna be and you have to hit those things right square in the face and for your own logic not really for them like you have to be able to, be able to answer that question because it's clearly a hole in the business or potential hole back there to what degree are founders actually evaluating investors to be like good partners to them? Like, what does that process look like? Is it calling past founders? Is it, um, yeah, like to what degree do they evaluate uh, investors? I mean, you can. For us, um, we knew people who had talked and worked with Nabil in the past. Ultimately, that's like something that is a luxury in, in some cases, and, and you should do like whatever you can. But at the end of the day, what really matters is like getting the check. Right. And, and hopefully maintaining control of your company. So having someone who works well with you thinks the same way, I think it will almost certainly helps. And almost certainly if they're willing to invest in your company, they believe that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that you should be aware of and, and obviously should do if you can, but it's not a hundred percent necessary, I'd say, or, you know, you might not have that option either. Yeah, the uh, unfortunate situation in being on sell side is you're on sell side. VCs are on buy side. And so that's the rule of the universe. I think it's in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the, uh, and so because you're on sell side, you, you sell until you get whatever you can. Now, if you're in a position where there's multiple buyers, then you should 100%. It blows me away how many founders don't just text their friends and say, have you ever heard of this firm? What do you think of this partner? There are definitely people who are not good people who are on buy side. Like nature, there's like there's bad people in sell side. So, and when I mean bad people, I don't mean like the cartoonish, you know, bad guy. I just mean like they, they'll love you when you're hot. They hate you when you're cold. And right when you need them, they suddenly are like not responding to your emails. They abuse their founders in a way that their expectations are never. And like there's all these like nuances. Uh, generally speaking, the generally speaking, the better branded firms have over years not participated in bad behavior. And, gen- and by bad behavior being abusing founders and taking weird owner's terms, slipping them in to term sheets and only, you know, that stuff, time, like a, there's a Gandhi saying, like, time is, a truth is what stands the test of time. And so the reason these kind of old school firms, like the Sequoias, the Kleiners, the really, you know, 40-year-old firms is, you know, founders have worked with them for 10, 15 years through the good and bad times. And they still say, yeah, actually, they're not, they're not bad. And every firm has some stereotype. And you should figure out what that is so you can understand if that is okay for you. Um, there's some firms that are known to be sharp-elbowed. Some firms are known to be hands-off. Some firms are known to be hands-on. And so th- for each founder, that's slightly different. And that's not that hard to get. It's literally just emails. Like, you can always l- literally email me, and I'll tell you what I think. And I, like, I think, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not like, what is it, like state secrets. You know, in the beginning of the process, like the pre-pre-pre-series A, uh, they're always evaluating you. So, like, what's the context or color of that conversation beyond just, like, a coffee chat? Like, yeah, things are going well. Like, to what degree are you sharing about the challenges that you're going through or the insights? And I understand it's, like, more art than science, but anything you could add. Yeah, so uh, my investor hat, you should always tell the weaknesses of your business because you should be honest about the challenges you're facing. My founder hat is, like, you're being evaluated. And so so think about that. And, you know, investors can't tell when you're not talking, when you're not 
you know, I, I, as you can see, as I don't really have a filter and I, I have a hard time when I, I really, if I'm facing a challenge in my company, I'll tell that to my investors. But if you, if I was more savvy, I would somehow like not. But I think like, I don't know. I feel like they can, they suss it out. Well, I think it depends, right? Once, once they're investors, you can tell them whatever you want. They can't take their money back. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so like, but before that, you have to really, before that, you can't just be like, oh, you know, everything is like, looks great, but it's crashing like here and here. Like, you have to be careful because they are still looking to make money first and foremost, right? Yeah, they will probably want to help you regardless of whether they invest. If they're like good investors, they'll try and help you anyways so that the next time or you, you talk to your friends or whatever that you're recommending them. But you know, they're first and foremost, they have to return money. So investing in a company that has problems from the get-go is, is not where they want to be. That said, you know, you can't lie to them, right? Like if they ask you questions, you should be truthful about like what the hardships are or whatever, and then have answers for those on how you're going to fix them, right? For us, it was, how are you going to be Google? Which is like, you know, I have no way of proving that. But what I can say is like, we're faster, we're more dedicated. And then also, when's the last time Google made anything that like you, that they didn't buy, right? In the last 10 years or something. And you got to hope that that answer kind of holds up for them, right? And, and that the, that you've basically told enough of the story, enough of the vision to get them excited about what it is. Because they're like, if it was 100% certain, they'd already have invested in you. So they're betting on essentially whether or not you can overcome those challenges. And part of that is understanding what those challenges are and then having a solution for them. In our aid deck, we talked about we said this is the bear case of the bull case. These are these are the, weak, the fundamental weaknesses we see in the company. And one investor definitely was like, "I've been investing for a long time, and we've never had reasons not to invest as part of the you know conversation." I was like, "Hey, I just want you to walk in this eyes open. Don't invest just because you know who I am. Like, know there's real problems, and we have to go." And I somehow that's appreciated. The it's diff, the nuance here on seed versus A. The seed investors a lot of times are going to be called from A investors. And so you kind of want your seed investor to think that you're really great because they are going to inform the one person that's going to be on the A. And A investors definitely do reference checks. They, I mean, that's their bread and butter. They will run through the whole process. They'll call all your seeds. They'll call folks you've worked with. They'll, they'll do, you know, I mean, firms that there's uh, certain firms that have rules, like we're going to do 10 references on every single, on each founder. Like that level of diligence is, is, is expected. So I think to some degree, just hitting those things right, right right up front and and getting it out of the way is better. I used to say for a demo day, a good way to put together a demo day pitch was you kind of, if somebody just read the one line of your company, whatever the most cynical thing they would think, you have to address that kind of in your first or second slide, right? And uh, and and just like, just hit it right out. Like if it's a, a social app, like do these have any users? If it's a hard tech app, do these, can these guys build anything? If it's an enterprise app, like does the buyer want this? Like there's all of these things you have to really immediately hit on the head. Yeah. And it's not that you want to be dishonest to your investors, but at the same time, you, you don't need to vent to them. Yeah. Right. They're <laughs> like, not your therapist. Yeah. Uh, they are shareholders in your company. And yeah. just like a, in a public company, a CEO wouldn't get up and like, oh man, it's been a tough week for Pepsi. <laughs> Listen, I got drunk on the weekend, so I came in like half a day on Monday. It was terrible. And it was, let's start this earnings call. <laughs> like, that wouldn't happen. There's a level of, yeah, there's a level of professionalism that's expected. Yeah. Tell us about your experience about that. If it's happened, how have you dealt with it? No, what's happened? Well, I don't drink, so. <laughs> yeah, you, like the people you, uh, some, somebody that's pitching you or something like that, or Somebody that you're advising. In what sense? Like they've had real fundamental problems? Yes. It depends. The, the, the problems depend. I mean, like some founders can sense why the product, like they have, they have learned why the product is missed and they will, they will track back the assumptions they had and like what those, what, what was wrong in their assumptions. Like they, it's almost like a clinical dissection of logic, not to get too abstract, but that's basically what you have to do. And like, there's some raw intellectual horsepower that's required there. There's some emotional intelligence that's required there. There's some communicative ability that's like, whether you call that charisma or ability to pitch that's required to massage this and say like, it's, it's, it's bad, but you know, and I wasted like $500,000 pursuing this marketing channel, but this is why I continue to invest in it. And just, yeah, you have to, yeah, it's, it's so nuanced that it's tough. Yeah. You have to speak in abstraction. Uh, they said a question. 
I do have a question. So we have a common uh, question here at Atrium when we're founders are in the term sheet negotiation phase where people are like, oh, so are these, they ask a question like, are these terms standard? And oftentimes we have a spectrum of founder-friendly terms to investor-friendly terms. Where does standard usually fall on the spectrum and how do you do the due diligence to find out like what standard actually means? I think you call three or four founders who've raised it. If you're fortunate enough to have a network of friends who've done it, you just call them and ask them. Your lawyers are great for this. They have seen a ton of term sheets. So you can literally, I mean, I would definitely ask my Series A lawyers, okay, like, is this normal? And so, you know, obviously having somebody like Atrium is, is helpful there. The more esoteric and exotic it sounds, the more likely it's not standard. <laughs> like, like if there's terms you've never heard and you need to like reread Investopedia four times <laughs> to understand it, that's like usually like someone's trying to, but like, hey, listen, you're on sell side. So sometimes you got to be like, well, where's that DocuSign? <laughs> 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 like it's just, I think both, you hear this from both of us in, in the way that we're speaking from pragmatism. Like, it is the truth. You gotta do what you gotta do. Get and the sometimes, money and the bag. yeah, you gotta get that bag. And sometimes, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I would be fascinated if, like, you know, 10 year old younger version of me saying here, I would just be like, investors suck and venture is a horrible asset class. And if you can ICO do that, cause F venture capital, like, you know, it's like, it's so in, you know. Recency bias is really, uh, really uh, impacting. Impacting. We're trying to be pragmatic here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when talking about the process of, of pitching, um, and it may be different from when you're having the coffee meeting versus the GPs, but how much of your time when you're in the pitch is spent, like you know, with the pitch deck, talking to them, and how much of it is answering the questions and, and talking through like the risks and all that stuff? It's almost entirely like time spent talking about your pitch or sorry about the questions they're going to ask about your pitch deck i think they're like i think we had i don't know maybe 25 30 slides and you kind of go through them really quickly because you also send them ahead of time and like the information that you want to present is only like that's half of it if any if they're going to do any diligence it's going to be asking and drilling into your assumptions and trying to understand what you're thinking and how you think about the business because it's almost certainly not a profitable business at the time you're raising a Series A, or, or maybe it is, and that, that's great. But that's not the end state, right? And so they want to know how you're thinking about how to grow this to 10x, because I think almost every firm is trying to get at least like an 8x return. So what you have today, what's in your pitch deck, is just like basically the starting point for them to ask questions to you. And uh, then in preparation for going into these, you know, not fundraising but meetings, do you just spend a lot of time thinking through all the questions that they're going to ask you? Well, I think you can, or you can learn that information by working on your business. And I think that's what really what you need to do because, you know, I could sit there and think of all the ways that I'm going to, you know, solve the like sensor issues on the car, or I can go and try and solve those issues and figure out what I'm learning, what I don't know, where the gaps are through that process. And that is net positive to your business. And the other is like kind of just being distracted and off in your own mind. Back to back, we did one where we went through the entire deck and 30 people stared at us and then asked us a few questions at the end. And the other one where we never made it past the first slide. It was just like a conversation. So, you know, in seed, what we would tell a YC would be generally have a deck, but say, I want to have the conversation. In A, if you have 30 people in the room, you're not going to be like, hey, guys, let's have a conversation. They're like literally looking and said, it's your time. And you're like, that's, I mean, you are going to go through your material. So each firm is slightly different and yeah, it's, it's, it's your sell side. So you do what, what, what needs to be done in that specific situation. But I agree. We never did this like, what are the hundred questions they could ask us? You should know the business well enough where I can ask you right now. If you're a seed company, you've been around for a year plus, you should know your business cold. You should know about every competitor's and you should know why you build these features in what order. You should understand how much money you have in the bank. You should understand what you're, you know, what you're paying your most expensive engineer, your least expensive engineer. Like all that stuff should be, that's just an indication that you're, you're, you're a command of your own organization. Wrapping up here, a couple of things we, we forgot to mention. One is how to best leverage your existing seed investors to help, to help raise and close the eye. And two, is how to get introductions to these investors if you don't if you don't already have them, and we've sort of alluded to it. But you know, a lot of founders will pitch an investor, the investor will pass, and then the founder will ask an investor for introductions to other investors. Yeah, tough, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, you want to ask your existing seed investors who will really vouch for you, who believe in you, 
so ask them if they're comfortable doing that, um, and if, if if they if they if they would, and then second, other portfolio founders that you're friends with that believe in you. And I think what founders don't realize is that investors sometimes trust founders they backed maybe more than other co-investors, yeah, because they don't have you know they're not shilling, <laughs> yeah. they uh, they really believe in it. So with that, guys, we're 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 out of time. So please give a round of applause to Cassie and Justin.